Well, hi again, folks. And I uh, just want to say a big thank you to Carl uh, for putting those intergenerational interviews together and for today's interview from Lily and B. Just a great job, guys. Thanks so much for that. Well, before we come to God's word, I just want to share a prophetic word uh, that we believe one of our members has given us that we think is from God. Uh, if you're not familiar with this, we believe God does speak to us directly. And sometimes he lays on people's hearts uh, a sense of something or maybe he gives a picture or some verses and they'll interact with that prey. And this is one from uh, Peter. And he describes a scene where a car pulls up at some traffic lights and the light is red and the lights held for quite a while there. And the person begins to ask, isn't isn't this light going to change? Maybe maybe something's wrong. Maybe I could just go. And uh, Peter says it can feel like God is holding us on a red light. Sometimes we want to move forward. Why isn't God giving us the green light? Maybe God's got it wrong. Maybe he's forgotten about us. Surely it's right to move on and advance the kingdom. And so the driver in this picture edges forward. And before you know it, a cyclist goes flying across the bonnet and rolls a bit down the road. But it's okay. God, Pete says, always holds us still for a reason. Being still is never a waste of time. We always need patience when God has us on hold. Advancing the kingdom starts with waiting on God. We must have God's permission to move forward, for it is his kingdom, not ours. When we move forward against God's red light, people are likely to get hurt. And the sense was that there may be some of us then, and actually, we are a church that want to advance the kingdom and, and people have ideas and they want to move forward. But maybe God's got us waiting. And the encouragement, obviously, is to wait on God. Does it feel like that at the start of this year? There, there's stuff you want to move forward into. Maybe the season we're in has held you back, has restricted you. Well, it's important we wait on God, hear from him and only move forward at his leading. I'm going to pray into this and uh, just going to pray for us as a church generally then before we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we do confess that we are a society that is activist, busy, Lord, we have so much resources at our disposal and all too often we think we can make things happen. Forgive us. And Lord, I just pray for any of us and maybe you've got all of society in this place, but certainly perhaps as a church and maybe individuals watching this, that you've got us on hold. It's your light and it's red at present. God, it can be hard for us in that season. Just help us to be patient. May we trust your leading. God, I pray for grace. I pray that folks wouldn't move ahead, force things, try and make things happen. We do understand when that happens, people can get hurt. And we don't want that to happen. 
So Lord Jesus, would you just continue to lead, guide and shepherd at this time and may we follow your lead. And Lord, I just want to pray as one of the people charged with being a shepherd of this flock, I just want to pray for us now as a community of faith. Lord, I do pray for any of us facing particularly difficult situations, maybe situations we've been through. Lord, we know some of us have been bereaved and some tragically. And we just pray, would you continue to sustain us? God, I pray for any that are anxious for whatever reason, Lord, work, relationships, whatever it is, would you speak peace to us? Breathe your peace upon us. Father, I do pray as we continue this well-being journey, many of us in our small groups, I want to pray for our well-being. And Lord, I commit particularly young people and children to you who've just had it very, very difficult. Father, as adults, we perhaps can think things through, develop coping strategies. But Lord, it is just hard for children, young people, not aware of the situation. We're in very unfamiliar with it, Father. And Lord, we just want to pray for them. I pray for parents schooling children. Again, just a full on time. And difficult, many of them working, Lord. Give us grace. And Father, I pray for, as we're going to see today, our emotional well-being. Lord, we do understand that there are factors underlying that, that we will hear about, Lord. But I just pray, Father, that you would keep us, help us to guard our hearts. But Lord, I do want to pray as well and thank you that there have been things to celebrate in this season. We thank you for a number of births over recent months. We thank you for marriages, Lord Jesus. And we want to just pray for our um, babies, Father, and and, um, some of our uh, couples, Father, that uh, maybe are expecting. We just pray, would you keep them, protect them, Lord God, keep them well. Father, I particularly just want to give thanks for uh, Steve West, 70 years young, last Monday. And thank you for Steve and Mary's faithfulness and the faithfulness of many, many, many uh, men and women and young people in this church serving our people well. And so, Lord, we ask, give us grace to just keep walking day by day, serving you faithfully, trusting that it will all be worthwhile. And we ask this in your name and to your glory. Amen. Well, let's come then to God's word, shall we? Uh, We are looking at the well-being journey, these materials that we found to be very helpful. If you're still interested, I'm guessing it's not too late. Uh, If you'd like to join a life group, again, get in touch with Karen and Erica, email perhaps coming up if we can. And uh, we're looking then at the well-being journey. And today we're going to look at emotional well-being. Now, I do just want to say at this point, folks, that I do not claim in any way to be an expert. In fact, it's probably only in recent years, as my wife, Alison, will tell you, that I've really only come to discover and understand emotions in a deeper way and begin. I've only just begun to develop emotional 
intelligence. And we'll come back to what that is later. Uh, so I want to just look, though, today at what I think are one or two of the key aspects to the biblical picture on emotions and emotional well-being. And we're going to see that this is very much perhaps in contrast to society. And to anchor our thoughts, I want to read what is my favourite psalm. It's Psalm 1. It's this picture of a person who is uh, living well and growing in God. So let's read Psalm 1, shall we? In fact, why don't we read this together as I read? The words are going to come up on the screen. It says this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. So like I say, I think there's some very important principles here for our well-being and certainly a key to our emotional well-being. In verse one there, there's an interesting word. It's translated here, blessed. It's actually the word Isha, which I believe is a town in Surrey as well. But here it's an exclamation saying how blessed. It can also be translated, though, how lucky or how happy. Now, I've read commentaries and various bits and pieces on this and commentators do emphasise the fact, the connotation of being blessed. But there's no disputing that this word and a series of words in the Old Testament are variously translated blessed or happy or fortunate. And although they're not interchangeable, rather perhaps happiness is a subset of being blessed, as we'll see. Well, I wonder if you recognise this little fella here. This is uh, from Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, and this is the guy called Happy. I don't know whether you remember, but in Genesis, there's the story of um, Jacob's sons and we tend to read that with kind of spiritual eyes and uh, the various names of all the sons there. One of those is actually called Asher. It means happy. And uh, there's another one called Lucky and another one called Trouble. So it does read a bit like the seven dwarfs being named. Happiness then and a happy feeling is a prime driver, isn't it? in the 21st century. We chase happy feelings and good feelings. Somebody has said that parents used to want their children to be good. Now, if you ask a parent, what do you want for your child? They'll often say, I want them to be happy. 
Well, what does that word mean? Is it talking about happy feelings? And this word here of happiness, blessedness, is linked to being blessed by God. And it's important to get a hold of this because I think in this we've got a message for society. So there's a link here between happiness. Many of us want to be happy and being blessed. And as Christians, we shouldn't run away from our emotional well-being, good feelings of being happy. In fact, some of us, if we're honest, could probably do with a dose of happiness, couldn't we? You see, we have a holistic gospel. God wants us to be happy, but there are caveats. One day we're going to be for all eternity ecstatic, absolutely blissfully happy. You won't be able to take the smile off our face, as it were. But it's not prime now. That is, of course, to become more like Christ and to glorify God in this way. But God does want us to be happy and to experience happy feelings. This is dangerous territory for some of us. I understand that. Some of us are beginning to feel uncomfortable. Are we talking about emotionalism here? No, not at all. We're talking about holistic beings, men and women, young people who live well, but experience good feelings as well. That's what God wants for us. Now, I understand that we go through trials in life, difficulties, when we feel anything but happy feelings. I understand that. Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And I'll say a bit more about sorrow in a minute. But in it all, we can hold on to the fact that God is for us. He does want us to be blessed, as we'll define it here. And he does want us to experience joy and happiness. So how do we become blessed and happy then? Well, Psalm 1 tells us it's by aligning all of our life with God's word. And that's actually the aim of the well-being journey here. Verses 1 and 2 say this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. So we're encouraged here not to walk in the way of the wicked. What that means is not to live day in, day out, according to wicked ways, ways that are contrary to the teachings of scripture, the ways that God has for us. He set the world up. He knows what's best for us. So we're not to walk in those ways, but rather our delight is to be in the law of the Lord. We're to meditate on God's word. And of course, it's implicit in that then that we'll live according to it. And the results of this, aligning our lives with God's word, God's ways that we find in scripture, the results of this are then set out in verse three. 
it talks about there'll be life and growth. The person that does this, they'll be like a tree planted by a stream with nourishing to the roots. They're going to grow well. There's going to be life in this tree, in this person. And it says they will yield their fruit in season. Their life will be fruitful is another of the results of living according to God's word in in season. There will be achievements. There will be successes. It may not be measured according to the world's ways, but according to God's standards, there will be fruitfulness. There'll be constant. A person who lives like this will be constant through difficult times. Then their leaf won't wither. They're not going to be fickle. They're not going to be superficial. They'll be able to keep going through difficult times. And I'm sure we need that at this time. And finally, in all things, it says they will prosper or flourish. And I've said before, there is a a field of academia at present looking at human flourishing. It's a key aspect. And I think the Bible has a lot to say about it. It's why we're doing this well-being journey in order that we learn how do we flourish in all areas of life. So this sounds like holistic well-being that this psalm sets out. And so what it's saying is this, if we align with the word of God in our lives, in all of these areas, we will be happy. We will be blessed. If you like, happy feelings are likely then to take care of themselves. We don't have to go chasing them down. We don't have to do things just to try and make us happy. If we live well according to God's ways, we will be happy. Blessed is the one who lives in this way. And this is so countercultural, isn't it? We live in a world, don't we, that chases happy feelings and other feelings such as comfort and excitement. In fact, I have a sense that really in our Western individualistic society, we've probably elevated feelings way beyond the place God intended for them. And I'll try and explain that. In fact, have we made idols of our feelings? Are we so pursuing happy feelings that we're strolling, walking in idolatry? The emphasis is everywhere, isn't it? We've got emojis for everything on all our uh, social media. And we project on our social media happy feelings. I thought it was so interesting last week, if you watched our service, if you joined with us, to hear Chip talk about a friend of his who who projected one thing on social media and then when he spoke to her she was just really depressed it never fails to amaze me in sports i i happen to watch a bit of sport particularly at this present time there's not a lot else to do and uh, in sports when a team has just won or won a trophy and they stick a microphone in front of the person and say so how does it feel It's as if the pinnacle of the the achievement is the feeling that's attained. I remember Sir Alex Ferguson, the uh, Manchester United former manager, saying that that is just fickle. It goes. That feeling goes. And he was always straight on to the next season, the next tournament. And very often, of course, when these interviews happen, the person usually says something like, I can't put it into words. So we ask, we elevate feelings. 
Well, the problem with that is this. They are transient, elusive and unreliable. And we're not to let them dictate the course of our lives. I've got a photo here of the inside of my uh, second car, the Ferrari. Actually, it's not. But on a car dashboard, we've got these lights indicating what is going on. And we do well to pay attention to the lights and uh, what they all signify. But the lights on the dashboard are not the steering wheel. And so with emotions, emotions, if you like, are God given to tell us what's going on underneath the surface of our lives. And often, of course, they come to the surface to tell us that their responses to our experiences of life. But we're not to let them become the primary factor in steering the course of our lives. We, we're not to live life according to our feelings or, or after feelings or we'll be all over the road. And like I say, I do think over recent years, I've been on something of a journey of uh, developing emotional intelligence in some small capacity. That is understanding emotions in myself and understanding others better as well. And out of that, once we develop emotional intelligence, of course, we can hope for emotional well-being. And so just a few lessons to finish that I think are biblical, but certainly are lessons that I've learned over the recent years. And the first one is this. Emotions don't define our well-being, how we're really doing in life. Now, I know you may know that, but we don't always live as if we know it, do we? Emotions don't define our well-being. They are very powerful. It can feel like life is caving in, but they're not the objective measure of how we're really doing in life. And so let me ask you maybe, how do you feel right now? If you went on your feelings, where, where do you think you're at in life? But then ask yourself, is that objectively the truth? And coming back to Psalm 1, it tells us, actually, if we live according to God's word, we will cultivate a healthy life. The measure, the assessment of whether we're living well or not is whether we're living and aligning with God's word. And so in the well-being journey, we're encouraging one another to follow God's wisdom in all of these areas of our lives, knowing that if we're doing that, if we're lining up with his ways, we will be living life well, spiritually, physically, relationally, vocationally, financially. We're going to look at all of those aspects. So firstly, emotions don't define our well-being. Secondly, in which case we can trust the process. What do I mean by that? Well, I understand various factors can affect our emotions. Our physiology can affect our emotions. Chemicals in our body can set us off on particular feelings that we really struggle to overcome. And things like energy levels and weariness levels affect our emotions. 
But if we will live life well, according to God's ways, over time, this will result in healthy emotions. I fully believe this. I fully believe that people who live according to God's word will see healthy emotions over time in their lives. They won't have to chase happy feelings. And certainly I've come to learn this and try to embrace this in my own life in this season. I wonder through the restrictions and lack of human contact and uh, not able to do different activities that we enjoy, many of us have just felt a bit more weary and perhaps even really quite low. Now, I do want to say, listen, it's okay to treat yourself, I think. I, I, my wife, Ali, and I quite regularly walk down from where we are to Dunchurch. There's a lovely little coffee shop there and we'll buy ourselves a mocha. It's a nice little treat just to lift the spirits. I don't think it's the same as chasing happy feelings. But I have had to trust that if I'm being faithful in my life, if I'm trying to honour God, if I'm trying to walk in obedience and be present day by day. Matthew 6, 11, it talks about the importance of give us daily bread. In this, in this season, we just need daily bread, many of us, just for today, just to keep going today. But if we'll do that over time, we can trust the process and see, listen, you're going to emerge and you will flourish. Winter will be over and spring will come. So secondly, we can trust the process. Thirdly, we need to understand that emotions warn and protect us. Proverbs 4.23 here says, guard your heart, guard your mind, will, emotions. They're the wellspring of life. We do need to keep watch over our, over our emotions and understand what they're telling us. They warn and protect us. Like I say on a dashboard, lights flash and they warn us. Um, I have to say, I don't always understand what the lights on my car are telling us, but one did go off the other day and I, I did manage to read up and just figure out it was to do with tyre pressures and I was able to correct things. So have you got any lights on your emotional dashboard flashing? Are they telling you something? Perhaps there's stress in there or maybe anger, resentment. Maybe there's fear or a negative anticipation of situations. Well, maybe there's a need to dig down and just try and understand where's that coming from? What's making that emotion surface? Are there thought patterns that I've got into that aren't healthy, that aren't lining up with God's ways? Or maybe there's it's it's experiences from the past resurfacing somehow. Listen, talk to friends, discuss with people. And uh, even uh, we've got a listening service in the church here. Folks would be very happy to talk things through with you. Emotions are there to warn us and protect us. But also, I very much come to see emotions enrich our lives. I think they're God-given. I think we're going to be far more emotional in heaven, certainly some of us, than we are now. And as uh, I've begun to try and develop emotional intelligence, I've described it like it's going from living in black and white to living in colour. In recent years, I've discovered something, I think I've said before, something called 
empathy. I didn't even know it existed. It's this ability to understand others better, to see things from their perspective and understand not everyone sees the way the world, the way I do or you do. And relationships are richer for it. Just being able to get better where where folks are coming from, where other people are coming from, rather than trying to understand them through our filter, what we would do in that situation, how we see a particular situation. And uh, I don't know whether I'm allowed to say this, but it may be some guys need to work at this better. Developing empathy, just trying to take the time to understand those around us. I love the empathy of Jesus. He just got people. In Mark 10, it talks about the rich young ruler who comes and says, what have I got to do to etern- inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus says, sell everything. And the, the guy goes away disappointed because he knew it was a cost. And it says, Jesus loved him. He saw that the guy's heart was good, and but there was this thing that was just so difficult for him. Jesus was empathizing there with him. And there's the woman with bleeding. Again, Jesus empathizes with her, sees that he has to reinstate her to the community um, because she's been an outcast for so many years. Finally, then, fifthly, sounds a bit cheesy. But in this whole area of emotional health, we need to make the choice to rejoice. Uh, I used to work with a a guy called R.T. Kendall. Uh, Some of you will have heard of him. And he he wrote a song called Make the Choice to Rejoice. Uh, It was out of Philippians 4. I'm going to read it in a minute. R.T. said writing this song was God's way of showing him that he didn't have a gift for songwriting. But Philippians 4 says this. I'm going to read the whole passage, Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7, because it's in the context of anxiety and stress. Again, perhaps some of us are experiencing that. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as well as telling us to pray and submit things to God here, Paul also says, rejoice, rejoice always. He's not telling us to chase happy feelings, but he is saying you can choose to rejoice. And I think, again, there's a key aspect of emotional well-being here. Paul says rejoice in the Lord. R.C. Sproul has said the key to the Christian's joy. And perhaps this is what marks out a bit the difference between just happiness and joy. The key to the Christian's joy is its source. Joy is that happiness we derive from God. Happiness, not wrong in itself, is what we get from circumstances and situations. Now, as we know, circumstances, situations change. Happiness will change. But you can know joy in the Lord through difficult situations in the midst of trials. It's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.10, I am sorrowful, but rejoicing. 
We have a gentleman in our congregation called Dave Brumpton, and uh, he's, he's, he's something of a media celebrity. Well, he was, on, he was on Songs of Praise once, a little while back anyway, and you may have seen him. And I think there was a measure there of Dave sharing testimony about his uh, elderly mum who had died in a, uh, an old people's home in this season, so it was difficult for Dave to see her. Of Dave, sorrowful, but rejoicing. He gave his testimony and at one point he welled up with tears, but he said, I'll see her again. It's the Christian hope through death. And there was a rejoicing there, even in the midst of sorrows. I can relate to that a bit when my own mother died. I remember grieving, weeping as we drove away from the hospital where she died. There was a glorious sunset behind her and it just spoke to me of the fact my mum was now in glory. There was grief, there was sadness, ripped something apart, but there was rejoicing at where mum was. We're going to worship now. And we're going to sing the song, It Is Well. And this was written by this gentleman. You're going to see his picture now, uh, Horatio Gates Spafford. And this is him with his wife, Anna. And many of you will know the story. I hadn't planned to, to share this until I saw what the song was that uh, Mel was going to sing. In 1871, Horatio Gates Spafford and his wife lost their son in a fire in Chicago. And with it, he lost his business. In 1873, he sends his wife back to um, the UK. He was going to help D.L. Moody with an evangelistic campaign. And he sends his wife and four daughters on ahead as he finishes off in the States. The ship they were on sank. And his wife was saved. And she, she messaged back to Spafford and said, saved alone. His four daughters had died. On the journey to England, where he went to join his wife, at the place near where his daughters died, he wrote these words, rejoicing in the midst of difficulties, going against feelings, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Folks, feelings are important. God has plans, ways for us to have emotional well-being. But there's an encouragement here that however we feel, and perhaps many of us are struggling in this season. We can trust in him and rejoice in him. Let's worship together. Mm -hmm. 